Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Catitude. I'm your show host, Michelle Fern, and guess what? We are at BMX. And I finally got to meet Dr. Dana Barbell in person. And we're going to ask her some questions about BMX. So it's so nice to meet you in person. Oh my gosh, Michelle. It was so, 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 I'm so happy you're here. I'm just so happy you're here. I really am. <laughs> well, this is new for me. My first yeah. time here. So for everybody listening, because, you know, the Catitude listeners might be thinking, you know, what in the world is VMX? So what is it? And also your title, because you are a big shot here. <laughs> I'm not, though, because Michelle knows I'm just a veterinarian. We're just always like, eh. No, but you're like chief <laughs> veterinary officer. I am. Of, you have and You have all these titles of <laughs> BAMC. That's that's a big deal. I, I got, yeah, I'm, I'm Dr. Dana Var. I am the chief veterinary officer here at North American Vet Community. Every year we hold the world's largest veterinary meeting and we are here at VMX, the veterinary meeting and expo for 2022. And I'm so glad that Michelle got to join us this year. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. There's all kinds of veterinary advances here. This is where all the veterinarians go, the vet techs, the veterinary students, right? Mm-hmm. Who have I missed? Mm-hmm. Press, like me. <laughs> Practice <laughs> managers, okay. veterinary leaders, uh, folks who are uh, developing medications and new tools for veterinarians to use. Everybody's here. Okay, and everybody listening, you know, we're up catitudes about cats. You might be thinking, okay, so how does this involve me? How does this involve cats? Well, a lot of these advances are about cats. So now there's a lot of, it looks like some of the highlights for this year, Mm -hmm. emergency and critical care with cats. What's new with that? What's new? So one of the most exciting things we've been talking about in emergency and critical care is, you know, most of your listeners probably know, like, there's Red Cross CPR classes. And in those, you learn about how to do CPR correctly, right? How it's going to be most effective. Well, here at VMX, we're actually teaching veterinarians, veterinary nurses, and technicians how CPR can be most effective for your cat. So God forbid that your cat ever needs CPR. We want our professionals to be trained in the absolutely best techniques, the best ways to potentially reverse that life-threatening situation. Now, can the people that are being taught it here, can they ever teach it to the, you know, cat pet parent at some point? Of course, yeah. This is the first step in their CPR certification journey. So the first thing they do is just learn all these techniques, all these standardizations, all these improvements themselves, and then they can go on to become a certified instructor. The nice thing about that program is they do have an option for pet parents to learn CPR as well, because of course, if you need CPR, it's an emergency and you're, it's usually very urgent. So we want as many people as possible to be trained in these techniques. And definitely good thing to know. Yeah. Okay, let's move on because I know your time is precious, <laughs> especially here. Cardiology. Okay, feline heart disease is a big thing. Mm-hmm. And I noticed nursing the pacemaker patient. Pacemakers in cats now. <laughs> pacemakers in everything now. In everything. Can you imagine that? Yeah, just about. Well, I should say cats and dogs. We haven't moved to pacemakers and really fun stuff like horses and bearded dragons. Not yet, but... 
give me a few years. We might be introducing stuff like that. So it's amazing to think about. But yeah, pacemakers are actually, animals do really, really well with pacemakers. There are a few heart diseases just like in humans where the rhythm of the heart gets off and it needs a little extra help. So the interesting thing about pacemakers is being designed for humans, they're designed to last for a very long time, 5, 10, 20 years. Well, 5, 10, 20 years in a human means it's going to have to be replaced, right? But Michelle, looking at me, she's nodding for, already because she gets cats, it. For cats, right? I for mean, cats, they so might need only one might, pacemaker by exactly, the time they're that age. So yeah. Dogs especially, they live short Absolutely. Lives. Cats and dogs, this could be one time to really affect how long their heart can exist with this abnormality and be corrected and be safe and live a normal, happy, healthy life. And actually, for the you know, the funny thing is, is these units get placed under the skin. Well, think about human skin compared to cat skin. Human skin is really attached, right? There's not a lot of space underneath it. But anyone who's pets a cat knows how loose their skin is. There's so much space under there for a pacemaker. They're almost better than humans. Isn't that crazy? I'm thinking about my cat Molly. She has this hanging belly, and <laughs> I thought it was fat. And then I did more research. They they have hanging bellies. They, they have just, extra yeah, skin. Yeah, yeah extra, their skin is, in, is in so better different. terms extra skin. Yes. Yeah. So yes. Okay. And here's something that I just was looking at the different things that you have mm-hmm. going on. Okay, this only relates really if we can call it catfish. But <laughs> now there's a lot of types of surgery that veterinarians mm-hmm. do that pet owners, we barely have a glimmer into what goes on because we, you know, we focus on mostly we have a cat or two, we have cats, maybe sure. we have a dog or two, but fish. Yeah. And you just shared some pictures of your fish, your fish surgery. Yeah. I thought, okay, let's talk about make it cat related, catfish. Can you, <laughs> how can you, I can't even imagine catfish. And before I saw your pictures, I thought, how do you do that? Is it underwater? How do you do yeah. that? Really so hard, right? we I know we're about cats. So just pretend this is about a catfish, <laughs> even though it's not a cat. Just a real quick yeah. Just because so, this, I think people are going, what the, how do you, yeah, so unique. It is. I, I think a lot of people don't really even see how much we could do on these catfish. Um, it's really, really quite fun, actually. There's anesthetic solutions that are developed for use in water. We can take these wonderful catfish out of water and put them on a surface that's not going to injure them, typically a sponge, and continue to deliver that water with the anesthetic chemicals into their gills via tube with a syringe and perform surgery on them just like we would on a, on a cat or dog. So if you think about it, it's sort of similar... In a cat or dog, we deliver anesthetics typically through gas, right, through the air. And in a fish, we do the same thing. We deliver anesthetics through the water. So we don't put our scuba gear on. That was a joke. <laughs> it, we do it all out of water. But they kind of, we kind of bridge that gap. They stay in the water and we stay in the air. And we manage to be able to help them quite a bit. Well, that is truly amazing because I didn't even know that was a thing, that you could do surgery yeah. on fish. To wrap it up. Every year, there's more and more innovation in veterinary technology. Mm -hmm. And I think back just to even 
from just a pet parent 10 years ago, just five years ago, the things that have been changing. Mm -hmm. What are like maybe one or two things that you've seen maybe last year, even this year at VMX or maybe in, you know, just that you've seen that have just made your mind go, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're doing it. It's about time. I'm so glad. It's going to change the game. Yeah. I mean, there, you're right. I mean, Michelle, there's so many, it's almost hard to pick one or two. Just this week, I'm hearing about new pain medications for cats that are approved and have been studied. And just even that for me, for your listeners, cat pain has always been a pain point. I'm sorry, that's a terrible pun. But it's hard to treat cats for pain. The side effects from the medications can be severe and and maybe not always worth the risk. So just hearing that there's new medications out to treat cat pain, pretty remarkable. And the other thing I think that really always just makes me amazed is, you know, it used to be when we found out our pet had cancer, it was devastating. It was, you know, how long is it? It was, they're going to be sick. They're going to be in pain. They're going to be hurt. They're good. They're not going to have a good quality of life anymore. Hearing all of the amazing new medications, new chemotherapy drugs, new radiation treatments that can change the cancer diagnosis from one of despair to one where maybe there's some hope. Maybe there's treatments that we can use that aren't going to make them sick, that aren't going to make them, you know, have stomach upset or be sad or be lonely or be in pain, but are actually going to take away the way that cancer is negatively affecting their health and give them a chance to live a good quality of life. Because that's what I really want for pets. You know, we're lucky with cats, right? They can live 18, 19, 20 years. And I want all 20 years for a cat with cancer to be wonderful. I want them to be amazing. So hearing that is just, it it makes me so excited. It makes me so excited for your listeners too, that they're going to have these things as real options, not something that maybe only a few people can afford, or maybe are only at the really specialty centers, but maybe available to a lot more people. Okay. You hit on one more thing. Sorry. I always squeeze (laughs) one more thing in, but really quick. Good. You hit on afford. And used yeah. to be, if your pet had cancer, yes, it was kind of, you know, absolutely, kind of, a, I hate saying the words, but death sentence, your pet wasn't going to last right? long, yeah. or it was going to be thousands, you'd have to get a second job or something, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. with all these innovations, do you think in the future costs are going to go down or definitely be more reasonable than they are now? Yeah. I mean, I think two things are to our advantage there. I mean, I think one, the, the old technology that we used to use is changing, right? Things that are big, things that, you know, a regular vet couldn't purchase that had to be, again, were only at specialty centers, only in big cities, only available rarely. Now, because those machines or those techniques or those drugs are getting more available, now maybe more people will be able to get to them. So that's the first part of that. But the other part, and I think this is probably where there's even more promise, is some of these new techniques for radiation, some of these new techniques for chemotherapy. These drugs are are newer, so you think more expensive, but maybe they only have to be given once. Maybe they only have to be given a handful of times. So instead of committing to radiation treatment that's going to last six weeks and you're going to have to go to the vet every day and it's going to be really expensive, maybe you only have to go three times. So just by these that alone, even though they may be new, they might be so much more efficient, so much better, that now a lot more people will be able to, to afford them. Yeah. That is good news. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. And it's always a pleasure. Have a wonderful time at BMX. Thank you so much, Michelle. It is great to talk to you every single time. Same here. Likewise. I always learn so much. (laughs) I mean, 
who knew you could operate surgery on a fish? I, I wouldn't have thought it. <laughs> Anyways, thank you again. Till next time. Bye-bye. We're going to be right back after this word from our sponsor. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. with me the one and only dr jeff werber okay he's one of my favorites probably my favorite if i'm you know at pet life radio you all know him he hosts ask the vets with dr jeff which is live on sundays but today's special sunday we're live at bm well we're talking at bmx so dr jeff hopefully we're both live yes we are both live at bmx although interview will be live but that will do it later okay so what have you seen you've been a veterinarian for how long this is my 38th year oh my god and you look like you're you know 20 something how do you do it okay so what have you seen this year that has made you go, wow? And having been a vet 38 years, it has to be something amazing. Oh, no, there's so many new things happening. You know, and wait, especially for cats, for, especially if for possible. Cats. Well, first of all, you know, we know that cats, like dogs, also get, can get cancers. And one of the treatments that are often used when it comes to human cancer is what we call stereotactic radiation. That means you take radiation, all right, radiation therapy, which is commonly used in cancers, but the area that they radiate is usually a broad area because that's all they could do. Now with stereotactic radiation, they can pinpoint the tumor using either CT or MRI and actually direct the beam directly at that tumor and only that tumor. So we have what we call less scatter. That means it's safer for the animal. It's safer for the tissue around the tumor. It is safer for the assistants that are helping in the, with the you know with the radiation so basically it's a wonderful way that we can enhance cancer treatment by using stereotactic radiation is this treatment closer for animals is a lot sounds like it's a lot closer to treatment that is done for humans oh definitely i mean so many things that we're seeing in fact there was a, a, a study that I, I reported on last week where they're taking embryonic cells from pig embryos okay before they've had a chance to specialize. So if you would take one such embryonic cell and put it into a spleen in a different species, it would become a spleen cell of that species. If you put it to the liver, it would become a liver cell of that species, where it's almost like a stem cell. It hasn't yet developed what type of cell it was going to be. And they all start as just embryonic cells. So what's so cool is there was a, a, a calf that was having some sort of brain dysfunction, like a seizure, they took the pig embryonic cells 
transplanted into that area of the brain that had the abnormal cells and took care of the problem. This was done on an animal. Well, guess what? Now they're saying, wait a second, we can take this type of therapy and use it for people that have epilepsy and replace the cells and the epileptic focus with these embryonic healthy cells that will develop into healthy cells and maybe treat epilepsy in people. So when you think about stuff like that, it's not always, you know, they, it happens first in people and then we, we train it to animals. It's that's, the opposite. That's what I was just thinking of because, you know, the first thing we talked about, it's something that we did in people, now we can do in animals, right. now vice versa. Right. So it's like huge, wow. I mean... Even when you think of some of the diseases, some of the vaccines that we are that are developed for animal diseases, they're using that same technology now for similar viruses and bacteria in people. And it's not a matter of, well, you're always learning from us. It's no. We have amazing research teams that are working sort of at the same pace at the same time. And whoever gets there first can share the technology. Sometimes it's the people technology. It's helping the animals. Sometimes it's the animal technology that's helping the people. And there's been so many, I'm just thinking since you've been a veterinarian for so many years, the things you have seen change. What have you seen? Let's do this. Let's do better and worse. What have you seen? Let's always start positive. So what have you seen change for the better? I mean, there's a bazillion things, but maybe nailed down to one or two, especially for cats. You know, it's so difficult. I would say, you know, one of the cat diseases we see a lot of is hyperthyroidism, okay? And again, let's take the human animal, you know, who did it first? So now we are using the therapy for cats. Now, I remember when I graduated, there were two choices for hyperthyroidism in a cat. One was a medication called methimazole. I never liked it. It's a Band-Aid. It's not even a good Band-Aid, but it's a Band-Aid. It works, I know, it's, it's better than nothing, but it's not so great. What we used to do is I used to do the surgery where I would remove the thyroid gland, trying, of course, to salvage the parathyroid gland, which is right on top of the thyroid gland. Sometimes you could, sometimes you couldn't. Fortunately, there's ectopic parathyroid tissue that takes over, and you, sometimes you supplement a little bit after the surgery, but ultimately the cats do okay. Now, what are we doing? Radioactive iodine, the same way they treat people. And it's unbelievable. And what's so great about cats is that you can radiate the area, right? It's given, it's radioactive iodine. It attacks only the portion of the gland that is secreting, over-secreting. It doesn't touch the other part of the gland, meaning that after treatment, you have what's called a euthyroid cat, normal thyroid, and they can live on the rest of their life. That's amazing. Now, okay, a little negative here. What have you seen change that you find as a big negative in the veterinary community for cats? Well, I don't know if there was anything necessarily for cats, because most of the stuff, you know, by, by the time you learn, it's their improvements, their improvements in how we treat. I mean, for example, let's take the disease, just the name, FUS. Yeah. No longer called FUS, feline urologic syndrome. Now it's FLUTD, feline lower urinary tract disease. Why? Because now we know that has nothing to do with the kidneys. It's all about the bladder and on down, all right? And when there were problems with the stones and crystals blocking male cats. Whoa, that happened to Dennis, and we didn't know what it was. And one place told him to us to put him down. No. And yeah, and one place just snipped him. Right. But it was, if we hadn't done it in time, it would have been fatal. Of course. So 
Now, you mentioned SNPTEM. So we just do what's called a PU, a perineal urethrostomy, basically amputating that very narrow tip of the male penis, and it opens it up like a female, and so it changes the plumbing a little bit, widens everything. Well, guess what? You know how many times we have to do PUs now? Hardly at all. Why? Because now we've learned so much more about the factors that cause this, including diet, that we can prevent the problem. And where PUs were very commonly done, now we still have to do them, but not nearly as frequently. This was probably at least about eight or nine years ago. Now, I mean, it's certainly not obsolete. We still have to do them, but much less frequently because of our understanding improvement. I guess in general, the only thing that, that I guess... I see as a change that I'm not really thrilled with, not necessarily just cats, but in general in veterinary medicine, is the specialization is so narrow now that a lot of graduates are not graduating with the skills that people from my era had. And they're afraid to do things. They're afraid to to do surgeries that are really not that difficult. Does that mean like on all animals or now they're specialized, say, only on uh, dogs and, or cats I and would removing say, tumors? I would say How does it certainly help? in the common dog and cat, you know, companion animal practice of what is what I see. And I see young veterinarians come in and like we might hire a relief vet if one of the docs is on vacation or whatever. And they say when they, when they even fill out their form what they do, I'm not going to do any surgery. I'm only going to do maybe a spay on a cat under, under you know, 10 pounds. I mean... It's like ridiculous under to Under a weight? Under yeah, because all that? To, when they get too big, they won't do a dog, a dog spay over a 35-pound dog. It is mind-blowing. I'm, my mind's blown, and I don't... Yeah. I'm not... That, it even, is, it that's is, crazy. It is so crazy. And, uh, you know, do you so again... Th- wait, do you think that'll change? Because that sounds nuts. I, I, I really think it's the, it's the function of the schools, the veterinary schools, and because of specialization, they're encouraging that doctors to do, you know, general practice doctors to do this much and everything else refer to the specialist. And I'm saying, wait, no, because if you're in an area that doesn't have a specialist nearby, we need to be equipped. Right. And just because, I mean, if your dog is 40 pounds, which is, you know, that's, that's pretty, you know, well, I can't say it's average, but it's, it's just trend. It depends where, you know, you're in a city, you might have a smaller dog because they're in apartments. Otherwise it's, but so what if you have two? One if one, I used to have a miss when Mr. Zeus was alive, 45 pound. Right. Then Nikki's Havani is 15 pounds. So I have to go to two vets. But if, if, or you have to, they would send the bigger dog to maybe a veterinary surgeon, which is, you don't need a veterinary surgeon to do a spay. I mean, I, I think that, that comfort level that I had graduating 38 years ago is very much different. And the expectation of what I should need to know how to do is very different. And I think it's hurting the profession. I really do. And one other thing is, again, I'm, and I'm going to get a little controversial here, which like on my show I get to be, because it's my show. Uh, it could be controversial. What the heck? Is, is now with, with COVID, I think that a veterinarian has to make a decision. Yes, you want to have work-life balance. The world right now, we're going through a lot of changes because of COVID. And when someone calls their vet and they are told, then I'm sorry, oh, we see, we can get you in the last week of February. Will that work? Well, well, last week of February, my dog's been vomiting for two days. I need to see somebody now. No, I'm sorry. And then they start calling other hospitals. Oh, no, I'm sorry, we can't take new clients. Now, is that for people being sick or, like, calling out? Is it for people just... I think it's... Oh, my, my personal opinion? Yeah. The inefficiencies at the hospital level, because of not seeing clients in the door, in a room, making them wait in the car, running back and forth, the technician or the nurse is running back and forth. And instead of that 
20-minute appointment, half-hour appointment. Now it's two hours. So instead of seeing 30 or 40 a day, as I do, they're seeing 10 a day. And there's a, just such a backlog. I mean, yes, you want a work-life balance. That's great. When things are good, have a work-life balance. But now our passion, our concern should be about our patients. So if I have to stay till 7 o'clock tonight, I'm staying till 7 o'clock. I have to make sure they're seen. And it's, it's a mentality that is unfortunately lost in the new and, generation. And so this scares me because I've experienced, you know, the new school and old school at my vet when Zeus was really sick and before he passed. And this is nothing against new veterinarians right out of school, but there's a, there's a different mindset. And it just, I'm with you. I'm old school. I just think that there's a lot to be learned. And it, it's not necessary that they need a ton of experience, whatever. But I agree with you. If, you, if this is what you're doing, this is your passion, this is it. Do it. And, and the idea you're specialized just on size of dog. What are they going to do next? Breed? I only take poodles. I only take, there's 50 million breeds, right? Cats, I only take, you know, Siamese. Oh, it's, it's a, a mix. No, there's another vet down the street. I mean, it is, it's no, it crazy. Is, it's, it's but, you know, one thing, uh, the good thing for the cats, there are, we're seeing a lot more all-cat practices. And, and you mentioned about having two vets. I have some. Now, I do a lot of cats. I'm, a, I'm about 55, 45, dog to cat, only because cats usually need a little less care, generally, routine care. They're also, they hide their diseases better than dogs anyway, yeah. so it's a problem. But, no, I, my cousin was one of the first all-cat practices in, uh, in New York. He, well, that, he, that, that could be good because then yeah. that when you're specialized, especially with cats, right. because they're hard to do. Right, just, right. Know, and and also, you know, that was more of a function of, A, him loving cats. B, the space that you need for a cat practice is smaller. And the calmness of walking into a vet hospital when you're an all-cat is a little different. Right. You walk into my hospital, yes, yes. the dogs are jumping all over the place, and they're running, and they're barking away, and they're, you know, where's where the cats come in? They don't, they don't beep, maybe they're a little meowing, they're in their carrier, it's quiet, it's clean. So um, there's something to it. But I, I love, you know, people say, am I a cat person or dog person? I'm a both person. I have five cats, I have five dogs. Um, I am I'm just equal opportunity. Well, and thank you so much for coming on Catitude. Have a great time at BMX. It's always so wonderful to talk and to you. And always great to visit with you, Michelle. And I, uh, I, you have to, I have to have you on my show again. So we have to, yes, we'll have to raise that. Yes, we have that. to do that very yes. soon. And, folks, if you have not listened to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, for some reason, if you cannot make the live show, the shows are all posted. They're on Pet Life Radio and anywhere else you can hear the podcast from Pet Life Radio, a bazillion places. Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, Dr. Jeff Warren. Dr. Jeff, he knows so much that every time I talk to him, I learn stuff. My mind is blown. So be sure to take a listen to his show. All right. Have a great time at VMX. Thanks. We'll see you soon. So I want to thank my cat crew, Dennis, Charlotte, Molly, Jethro, Sammy, and hey, Nikki too. He's the dog. Keeps everybody in line. They've taught me a great deal about cats. And thanks to everyone listening. Thank you for making Catitude such a popular cat show out there. So many people listening. And keep the emails coming. Michelle at PetLifeRadio.com. And a special huge thank you to Mark Winter for making me and my guest sound amazing. And remember, lose the attitude. Have Catitude. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.